So for me, it is way more about like, oh, well, do you hear something beautiful or not? You know, it's a messy, messy process, but it's, it's in my own mind, it's beautiful. It's therapeutic. I find beauty in the struggle. I find there's a sense of, I don't know, humanity in the whole process. And, and I love it and I need it. Welcome back to Labeled, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter, and this week, we are firmly in the legends department. If there are legends in this scene, Josh Scoggin is certainly one of them. The frontman of Ludacris, Norma Jean, The Chariot, and 68, Josh has played thousands of shows. And from what we can all gather from our shared experiences of seeing them and scouring the internet, there appears to be not even a single moment in any of those thousands of shows where Josh is ever giving anything less than his whole self to the performance. In this scene, two words that we hear a lot in describing the music that we love are beautiful and chaotic. Tooth and Nail has always made it a point to span the whole territory from beautiful to chaotic. And I made a set of open polls in the labeled Facebook group and with no suggestions from me to influence it. And I asked what Tooth and Nail release is the most beautiful and which one is the most chaotic. The results were pretty clear on the chaotic question, and again, this is with no suggestion from me. By a landslide, the number one chaotic record in the Tooth & Nail catalog was The Chariot's first album, Everything is Alive, and the strong number two, Bless the Martyr by Norma Jean. Both Josh Scoggin joints, of course. On the question of the most beautiful record in the catalog, it was not a strong runaway winner, but the highest voted one was Maze the Everglow. So congratulations to them for that. And right up there was Me Without You's Brother, Sister, and As Cities Burn, Come Now, Sleep, and notably Starflyer 59's Leave Here a Stranger. So keep that in mind as we move through this conversation. And uh, may I suggest to you that perhaps beauty and chaos are not two ends of a sonic spectrum but perhaps are more deeply connected than the surface analysis would have you believe. Another word that we use a lot that I think is worth looking into a little bit more deeply is the word passion. The word passion I often find to be wildly overused throughout the business and music and religious cultures to signify that somebody is fully engaged with the activity at hand. But what they're really talking about when they use the word passion is what Josh Scoggin performing is. If you could bottle that and sell it, you'd be a millionaire. And I define it more like someone powerful being fully invested in the moment in search of something that has intrinsic worth. And in Josh's own words, it seems that beauty is what he is in search of. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation I had with Josh Scoggin and where his mind is when he's writing, recording, and performing. All right, let's do it. I asked the labeled Facebook group for some questions. And then there's a couple of comments that I got in here that were almost better than questions. And (laughs) I'm just going to read these comments from these people. Okay. One of them is named Ben Delosier. And he says, origin and departure stories are everything. We eat them up. 
especially those of superheroes. And Josh is definitely a superhero of this movement. The origin and departure of Norma Jean and the chariot and what was moving through him that led him as he walked through the unknown before he knew what was coming next in each of those transitions. Was it a vision, a feeling, a particular interaction or circumstance? Tell us about your muse, Josh, and what it takes to listen to that voice amidst the voices all around us. And don't answer that one yet. I want to read this other Shoo. one from. Ke- but that, I thought that was that, a very sweet. Yeah, I know it's great. I'm going to load you up big very time nice, here. but thick. Well, this next one's even better in that in that regard. This is from Kevin Reich. I love it. So Kevin Reich says the first chariot show I ever went to was Cornerstone, Florida, in '06 or so. Josh is rolling around on the floor. At some point, he disappears backstage. At some point, the screams go guttural. He makes this epic genre-defying debut album and just shakes his head at the entire heavy music world by pragmatically naming it Everything is Alive and the rest of the title there. (laughs) Uh, He throws entire mic stands into the crowd, hangs from rafters, plays in Moscow, and basically invites the whole crowd on stage, yet doesn't come across egotistical at all. Like as if it's not about Josh or Norma Jean or The Chariot, and yet YouTube searches for either band bring you show after show of the most passionate shows in the scene, period. So I have a hundred questions, but in the end, we all know what he has done and who he has been to the scene and how we have interpreted his overall message. But I think we're all dying to know what he thinks of it all. And I think that <laughs> sums it up so well. This show is stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth and Nail Records. And uh, as far as enigmatic figures go and legends, you are one of them. You're one of the top. I think Aaron Weiss comes up a lot in that realm, and so do you. You guys have a lot of connections and stuff, I know, but That's you are nice. a legend to this scene, Josh. You've been around for the whole time, and you've been doing it the whole time. You've seen mm-hmm. everything happen. Everybody knows who you are and what you've done. But as Kevin asks here, what do you think of it all? I, you know, whoever said it on one of those things that you just read about about the passion of the live show, um, that's the one thing that I can agree with and that I can... Um, sort of like shake my head like yes that's it it was just every show is its own unique thing um nothing is the same not not one thing now typically bands will have a set and they'll play the same set every single night and it's a it's a set that they've prepared in the staleness of their own practice space nevertheless everything else except for that is different it's a different day of the week might be a weekend might be nearing a holiday there's different people in the audience. You feel different. You've had a long drive. Maybe you had a short drive. Maybe you had a day off. You'd, every single item is different. Every person in that crowd comes from different backgrounds. Uh, not, even, not only that, but just d- different moments in their lives on that day. So a- as unique as that moment is to be able to share, um, and share being the key word there, share that, live experience with everyone um people talk about throwing mics into the crowd or jumping in the crowd or whatever and and it's it's because there was never a a differentiation between us and the crowd it wasn't um in the chariot and with 68 and even norma jean i mean when we were doing it it's all the one energy that's happening that night which is why 
starting in the chariot, we we started not doing set lists. We started not having set uh, songs we'd play. We would just sort of pick them up at random and and um, and typically we might have a starting song, we might have an ending song, but for the most part we would just sort of wing it all in between because and with 68 I've just continued to do that um, even more loosely. There's nothing, I mean, we, we could do anything at any point. Um, even within one song we might deviate uh, like go off on a different path but it's because that uniqueness of that live show if there's 10 people which i've played multiple 10 people shows and or if there's you know thousands of people it's you know in my mind it's historical because in my mind historical. that is the only time not like in the not like historical but you know what I mean? Like, not in a cocky, like, historical, like, anyone's going to remember it kind of way, but the 10 people that are there and the, you know, five people on stage, depending on what band you're referring to, or the two people on stage with 68, we will remember it. Um, we'll never forget it. You mean historic there, like, as in it's unique, like, it's special, it's it's unrecreatable, it's not, it's, it's something that happened at one time. Historical in the sense, like I said, like, the let's pretend there's 10 people and then us on stage like those 11, those 12 people my math is awesome uh public school uh those 12 people it is going to go down in history for them you know <laughs> what i mean not not because it's so phenomenal i've I, believe me i i still go to shows and i used to go to shows uh and i and and i would go see a show um there's a band popping in my brain right now that i won't mention but i i went and saw and i think those probably seven people in the audience, I was one of seven, and it was garbage. It was, you could tell they didn't want to be there. You could tell they uh, they felt above playing in front of seven people, uh, you know, um, and maybe rightfully so, but at the same time, it, I, I remember that forever. And I think any show that people go to, they're going to remember, and so why not be as passionate about you, as you can about it? And, and I... Not only that, like as if it's a job, like oh, I should be passionate, but just how could you? How could you not be? You know, this is your this is your art. This is you know for me the the passion of what I'm doing at that moment. So I don't know how it could be anything else. Um, every bad day, if you've had a terrible day and you and you show up at that show, you're about to be able to go through all kinds of therapy just being there and being able to, you know, scream into a mic or holler into a mic or play the guitar, or whatever the case may be. It's art. It's therapeutic. It's beautiful, you know, and and so therefore when t 10 people come out, I always think, wow, this is the thing that they decided to do t for tonight, you know, and so, um, so you take that energy and whatever it creates, you have fun with and you, and you enjoy it. And, um, a lot of my song lyrics can be very serious, but at the same time, it's never above being, uh, be, uh, having fun, you know, like it, enjoying that moment and, and being able to look out and see people and, and I don't know, try to, try to connect in some way. So there's a lot to do here. I want to go a little bit in reverse here and back up because I think the person that you are 
and how you grew up is important. Um, and like I said, you were around for a lot of the whole history of Tooth and Nail and scenes rising and coming back down and everything. You've just been around for the whole thing. So I would like to know how you became involved with this scene and Tooth and Nail. But I want to hear what are your favorite three songs in the Tooth and Nail catalog and how you got mm -hmm. involved in the Tooth and Nail scene. And then beyond that, I want to probably go even farther back into your childhood because I think it, there might, it might be important in some ways. The very beginning, I guess, so early Norma Jean, uh, we had a different title, but we... Ludicrous, everybody knows that. Yes. Uh, I started that band in, uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and... We just did sort. I mean, it was just kind of a Iggy Pop, Nirvana sounding something. Um, and there was another band that was in our local town, and we would literally just have parties. We we would throw our own parties so that we could perform. Um, what year was that? That you were a sophomore in high school? Oh man, graduated ninety nine. So mm -hmm. sophomore of that, whatever that would be. Got it. Um, the very first party was at my parents house <laughs> and it was a new year's eve party and and us um which was called ludicrous and then this other band i think they're technically called deja vu or something drone or something it doesn't matter but it, it comes into play later but anyway us and them played and again we just had a party so we could play and then we did it again at, at this other place and then we rented a place out and did it did it again and then um and anyway to make a terribly long story short, we were all friends. We hung out all the time as much as we possibly could. But um, I ended up getting their drummer uh, for, of the other band, which was uh, Daniel Davison, uh, which which is a uh, legend and um, one of my favorite drummers of all time. Um, and then we ended up getting the guitarist, which was Scotty, um, who was in Norma Jean. And then a friend of ours that always just hung out uh, and we loved hanging out with him. I taught him how to play guitar, and then I think a few months later he joined the band. <laughs> and his name was Durr. Mm -hmm. So uh, <clears throat> at the time it was Chris Day um, or Toothpick. But uh, I would love to do an episode with him. He's one of my favorite characters. Like as far as the oh, character man. in the scene, Durr is just one of the greatest. So he's yeah, he is one of the better people in the world. And, and then way later we got the basis that ended up on the uh the the Norma Jean album but um so we did some shows and we did some tours our our drummer Daniel did everything he 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 would call uh you know the masquerade or he'd uh you know down here in Atlanta club or he'd call uh just in in Alabama um which is how I, we ended up meeting uh Chad Johnson and who became our A&R guy later in life but um uh, so he would just call ahead and he would find out these bands that were playing in these venues and he'd go, Hey, you know, our band wants to play. Uh, and so a lot of times they'd just be like, sure. Okay. Whatever. And so we ended up playing Atlanta, um, with, uh, training for utopia and, um, Zayo wasn't there, but, um, Jesse Smith who drummed for Zayo at the time was like running merch for them. It was really strange, but, uh, and then we ended up getting on a, a Birmingham, Alabama show, which is where we met Chad Johnson. Um, somewhere down the line, someone showed me some uh, heavy stuff from Solid State, and that's what got us in. And like I said, um, you know, Train for Utopia is some of our favorite band. Like the the, the band ruled, and uh, and uh, there's so many more. I, I just my mind's going Blindside. Um, it was all different, you know. Like every band I've just mentioned, is so different and so unique, and but anyway, 
we played shows. You know, we did the Alabama, we did Atlanta, and then we got on a couple of tours because of that. I remember one time we played Atlanta, uh, Alabama, and this band, I don't remember what they were called, but they were like, hey, you guys are really good. You sh- you want to come on the next week of tours with us? A band dropped off. So we had to call our parents from Alabama. So we're in Alabama calling our parents after the gig. So it had to be like midnight or so. And we're, we're asking our parents if we can skip school for a week so we can go on <laughs> tour. They, they end up saying yes. It was a really crazy story that I won't get into but um, my parents were cool um, most parent parents were cool there was a couple that weren't and we were just like please you've got to do it or whatever so yeah, I remember we played in uh, South Carolina and that guy was really really cool it was a place called Slacker 77 yep not legendary to be confused place. with uh, Birmingham Slacker 66 but uh, both legendary places right yes Slacker 77 that guy was like hey you know I like you guys, whatever show comes through, you can jump on it. And so I remember we jumped on any show we could up there and we ended up getting our first um, tour or two because of playing some shows up there and, and meeting the right band or whatever. We all had graduated and Daniel was a junior, so he was going into a senior year, but his mom was cool, and and she was just like, yeah, you can just homeschool. So basically, the day we gra- graduated, the very next day, we went on our first like full summer tour. It was like three months long, but it was like, you know, five different bands. Like, we did a tour with this band, and then we had like some two or three days of headlining, and then go to this band. It was just this real sort of like hodgepodge thing. We snuck into Cornerstone. <laughs> we were on a tour with a band that was playing Cornerstone, and we snuck in, we, we all sat in their van and squatted down really low, got inside of the tour, uh, of the festival, and then we ended up uh, you know, having to stay in. We couldn't leave and come back because we didn't have wristbands or whatever. <laughs> and so they had an impromptu stage back then, and we ended up, you know, they drew our name um, to play. So, and that, that's, that's how the impromptu stage worked. And so we got to play. And from what I heard later, I think Brandon Ebel, or at least some of the powers that be, were at our show. I think that's how they ended up seeing us. So later on in life, we're not on tour anymore. We're, we're back at home. This is back in the day and age where this is going to sound like mind-blowing to some people. But if you had something important to say, like really important, like like legally important or or business, you didn't send it f- through an email. Like an email was just, like it wasn't there yet. And so I remember the very first time, so we would be on tour and we'd stay at someone's house that had the internet. And I mean, this is showing my age to say the least, but we would be, we'd be at a house, they'd have, they'd have the internet. I think Brandon Ebel had sent through an email that said something along the lines of, what are your guys' thoughts on solid state? Or would you guys like to sign to solid state? Something just very, like, didn't sound professional. It didn't seem legit. And at that time... Brain is famous for that. That's it just has Well, now I know style. that. And so it's really <laughs> comical that that was... Uh, but anyway, we hit delete. We just deleted it because we just were so confident that that was not... Not real? Legit at all. In fact... <laughs> There was plenty, plenty, plenty of times. 
so you know we had a lot of friends and bands that were all local bands and stuff and we would we would decorate emails you know like it make it seem legit and be like hey we're from atlantic records you know and then people would like be like oh this is the greatest and then you just laugh at them you know what i mean because that's what that's sort of the prank that was going around in those times and stuff (laughs) because nobody did emails nobody took it seriously it was either pod or uh, this band project 86 Mm -hmm. um we were friends with both of them and they one of them called us and they were recording their new record or something they called us and they were like hey why do you not why do you guys not want to sign to solid state and we were just like what are you talking about? And uh, <laughs> apparently they took us deleting their email as like, you know, we don't, we have no interest in signing with them. And anyway, at that point we were like, oh, we'd love to sign. You know, like I said, at that time, every band was great. Yeah, somehow between that phone call and, you know, a few contracts later, we finally signed a deal. I remember the very first time we went to meet with them, uh, we thought we should have a briefcase because <laughs> um, it's a meeting you gotta be serious label. yeah my dad said buy a suit if you were gonna go meet with those record labels. yeah <laughs> well I know we didn't have a suit but um, I think we dressed pretty snazzy back back in those days anyway but uh, we went and bought a, a thrift store suitcase um, <laughs> I don't even think anything was in it uh, but we had a suitcase so that when we went there we looked like legit you know yeah so that's how we signed with them originally and then uh, when I left Norma Jean, started the chariot, that continued over, um, obviously, the friendship and the relationship there. From that day or from anything in the whole catalog up to now, what is your favorite three songs? So that's actually very easy. I wrote them down just so I could uh, specify. But my, so by far, leaps and bounds by far, my favorite band of all time on the Tooth and Nail world is Starflyer 59. Um, Every album that they or he came out with, especially back then, just fit me, (laughs) fit my world, fit my vibe, fit my, like, maybe he helped create it, I don't know, but everything that he did, I mean, was just amazing. So, literally, all three songs um, are from... Starflyer 59. <laughs> That's great. Let's do it. Which ones was the best three Starflyer songs? So I, it's hard to say best three. Um, Your favorite. Because three. I genuinely, I don't even want to, I don't want this to, this is going to be an understatement. Every, I love every album. His like 90s stuff that's just super feedbacky. And, and you know, there's friends of mine that are, that are very like, they're like, oh, when I listen to that, I hear sort of where the chariot came from and stuff like that, which is a, I find to be flattering. So the first three that popped in my head, these aren't necessarily the, my, the, the best three, the album Dial M. Um, there's a song called Minor Keys, which is great. Why is that? What's great about it? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. It's, it's, um the lyrics uh are are wonderful he says uh the saddest songs are wrote in minor keys um which is such a sort of straightforward sounding line but when you listen to the song it's just wonderful When I listen to that song, the feeling I, I go into is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Can you feeling. describe the feeling? 
it's a it's kind of a sad feeling but like in that sort of like it's okay to cry for a long time kind of way mm-hmm. you know like sometimes you're sad you're just sad um and then sometimes you're you're it's like a beautiful sad you know what i mean <laughs> yeah I do, I do. <laughs> not to get all depressing but it's it's sometimes uh i think music does this good i think there's movies that do it really well but there are times where it's just so beautiful to be sad and and uh, you know, not like a, not like the passing of a loved one or anything, because that's sort of a more of a desperate feeling. But like, but just sort of, you know, just sort of gray and gloomy and beautiful. It, you know, do you think it's similar to like a riding a roller coaster, or watching a scary movie? It's like you get exposure to that thing voluntarily in a way that you can handle and process and like. Right, it's a safe place to be sad. Yeah, where it's not connected to that grief of loss or something as directly it's a safer yeah. place to process i feel that i i with this song it has sort of a i wouldn't say upbeat but there's almost kind of a upbeat vibe from the drums but everything else is very very sad and but in a good way in a beautiful right. beautiful way and uh and there's definitely songs in the world that are sad sad that that i i like i just can't listen to um, I love them, and as an artist, I long to write songs like them or whatever. But there's some um, certain songs that just, you know, I just, I just can't, I just can't be exposed to uncertain times because it would just uh, wreck, you know, an entire couple of weeks or so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on the album, Everybody Makes Mistakes, uh, there's a song called $20 Bills, and another beautiful, beautiful song. Um, the thing that uh, that stands out right now in my head about the song is that it's beautiful, but at the very end, there's this like super distorted guitar, even though it's, it's, a, it's not meant to be the focus, and it's not... Um, it doesn't like uh, jar you from this beautiful song. It kind of comes in as just the beautiful, beautifulness itself. I can't say that that's the single reason I love that song, but I, it just stands out. And I remember, I remember the first time I ever heard it, thinking that's that's a sort of a baller move to just throw this super distorted thing on a beautiful song. third one uh on the album leave here a stranger there's a song called i like your photographs and that is um again so beautiful a bit sad sounding but um but it's so weird The, the drum pattern is just a very strange drum pattern that that one wouldn't expect
it kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of like Strawberry Fields uh, by the Beatles. Um, uh, I've never talked to him personally to know if that's where he got sort of inspiration or anything, but that it sort of reminds me of that vibe, sort of like they just sort of take these chances and do these things that are very, very off the beaten path. Mm, um, interesting. But uh, you use beautiful to describe each of them. Basically, it do you yeah. seek that as a primary uh, attribute of the music you create? Um, well, I guess that would be a you need to define b- beauty, but I think they're all beautiful. I mean, I, I these three particular songs have a bit of a sad vibe, and I find on average, this is definitely not set in stone, but on an average timeline, if I'm just left to my own devices i find myself listening to predominantly sad sadder songs i I definitely don't listen to upbeat top 40 stuff or anything like that so um it's usually you know sadder type songs that are very easily to define as beautiful but there are many rock and roll songs that i would just be like that's a beautiful song you know um and so but with these three i think they are uh in the in the vein of either sad if not lyrically i can't like think of all the lyrics right now but just the general tone is just a very kind of like moody yeah you mean a certain aesthetic in in this case but also i get the sense that you would describe in utero as a beautiful oh it's so beautiful you kidding me tell me why that's beautiful uh that's a nirvana record for anybody that wouldn't somehow not know that well it's hard to I often listen to In Utero and, and wonder how much of it is nostalgia, you know. Um, it just hit me at the right time, at the right point in my life. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I try to sometimes listen to it objectively, and and it's uh, and to me it's still phenomenal. It's it's one of the greatest albums. But, um, but I don't know. I mean, uh, you can't separate the nostalgia, you know. Man, where to begin with that, you know? First of all, it's on the tail of one of the gr- the biggest albums of all time, the uh, the Nevermind album, mm-hmm. you know. What a struggle uh, it, it, if you let it be, you know, to 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 have done something so gigantic. I mean, they were all rel- very young when that al- when they put that album out and to to sit there and to kind of feel I don't think this, but to, to maybe feel like, wow, the the greatest thing we'll ever have done is behind us now. Like that's a young age to feel that, and hopefully they didn't feel that. I don't know them personally, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like you could imagine something so so monumental happening, just being like, wow, this is the the greatest stuff is behind me, and then to come out with in utero, I think is just, I mean. I, it's just a beautiful record. I have no idea. I have no way to explain it right now. No, that's that would okay. not just be so boring to but listen you, to. But, but. You, no, it's you know, there's a real connection there. I think, and I'm just trying to get at what guides your decision making. Uh, there's certainly, it, I'm not even saying musically, although musically too. But I'm just talking about in decision making. I think there's a lot of Kurt Cobain influence in the choices that you make. I think you. There's something that guides you to do things on the outside that are different, that are, I don't know if you think of it as boundary pushing or doing what hadn't been done, but it doesn't seem simple and contrived like just being anti this or doing the opposite mm-hmm. of whatever. It's not like that. Um, there's something that for in you generates 
newness and and at the same time cutting against what what's being done uh, maybe an example of it is like that comment said you named the chariot album everything's alive everything is breathing nothing is dead and nothing is bleeding that's a rejection of something that's going against right. the grain and it's it there's a lot of choices even on that album musically i i, I think it's very easy to compare it to in utero in that way you made sonic well, choices that are just not what anybody would think you should be doing sometimes so to take that example everything is alive we uh i didn't know what i was going to name the album and um i had a handful of lyrics written here and there and a handful of songs written here and there um and this was a day and age i mean every single local band we played with their name was like death beyond dying and, yeah, right. and dying on tuesday and like every <laughs> single and these are all every single one that we played with not not in life every one of them are like middle class suburb kids you know what i mean like it's like what it, and so it just felt so fake and so phony and and all these local bands that would that would open up our shows and 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 even some of the ones getting a little bigger at the time but it was just too much. And so anyway, I think I literally, I remember the show in my head. I don't know exactly where it was, but for now I'll say it was like Kentucky, Indiana, somewhere like that. But I remember we played and there was like, you know, three bands before us that were all locals and every one of their names was something silly. And so I literally went out to the van and I pu pulled out my the thing I write my lyrics in and stuff. And I, and I think I literally just wrote it verbatim everything is alive, everything is breathing, nothing is dead, and nothing is bleeding. You know, just mm -hmm. like right there, just right then and there, no no hesitation, no stops. And and um, when I went back on to it later uh, in during the recording process, I was like, this is what I want to call the album because it, is my statement true about everything? It's like, sure, no, no not at all. Like there's, there's things that are dying, there's things that are, you know, but just to contrast, you know, like that, that vibe, that, that, death every day you know mentality just i was like these this has nothing to do with my life you know what i mean like i i had a loving parents and and great you know upbringing and and so yeah that's how that came and then and then yeah a lot of albums were recorded and still are um you know you write a riff once and then you copy paste it copy paste it copy paste it and then um you you know you you do the same with the bass and you, the drums now are all fake you know the drums you know drummers don't even have don't even have to be there sometimes you just take midi notes and you put them in and that's how the drums get made and so this was all kind of happening at least in my mind this is all starting then around then and so we decided to record the whole album live mm -hmm. you know um in a studio but just to record it live and and just what it sounds like is what it sounds like with all the feedback with all the stuff and it was just sort of a being tired of of people sucking the soul out of rock and roll you know what i mean see that's just so i mean 
it's not the kind of thing of of just doing a contrary action there. It's actually a hard move to make, and of course, overproduction is is a problem. But in two thousand four, everybody was just getting going, and it is. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Kurt Cobain and the Nirvana situation in that is you just done Norma Jean. This the mm-hmm. Bless the Martyr is just. I mean, it's just as big as it gets for a. Uh, trendsetter type of thing. Brandon talks about it, how the other labels were saying they needed to get a, a Norma Jean, you know, like it was a big... Really? Just, yeah, he said there's other bands <laughs> saying when, when that record has come out, <laughs> d- doing what it was that. doing, he said the Vagrants That's and the other funny. labels were saying we need to get an act like Norma Jean, like Tooth and Nail has, and that was a big moment for Tooth and Nail to see that they had actually been leading, not following, like, you know, Christian music and Christian-influenced things, setting trends. Basically. That is hilarious, and it's a big deal. And that's and Nirvana really shares that territory. They made Nevermind, so you've done that. Now you're not even in Norma Jean, and you're doing another <laughs> band, and and everybody else is just getting geared up to have good, polished sounding recordings. That's the whole thing. We just finally got to where we could record stuff and make it sound good, and <laughs> and 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 our start to be able to capitalize on the the movement and the whatever the thing is, the darkness and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you go and make this record a debut record of your next thing. Totally walk <laughs> away from one thing, um, and and so I think that's a that's a a bold move, and I think that permeates and goes across the whole thing. But how? Do you think of risk taking? Like, how does that work in your mind? Is it? Is it? Is it? Do you think of that as risk, or you just? It just. That's just how it works for you, because it's certainly a head, um, a head thinking there. I never think about it while it's happening. I have a strong moral compass, you know. Um, not necessarily like just like this is right and this is wrong, but just as an artist, you know, like I, I can't perform to a MacBook on stage. You know what I mean? Like that just doesn't. That's not in my wherewithal to 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 fake it um like that so i mean so as a as a moral standard there's just certain areas that i just can't if i feel something i have to do it or at least go down that path like it's immoral so, to replace the drum sounds <laughs> uh, right. yes right. but uh that's not what i that's not the <laughs> the soapbox that i'm trying to stand on right now i'm just trying to say my point is if i feel something deep within me it i can't escape it i can't let it go so for example that first the chariot record it was it was what's gonna ha- this is what's gonna happen we're gonna record it live and this is what is gonna happen and it, and it's gonna be human and it's gonna sound like humans that's what happened and then we send it off to the label and then they go i'm not into this <laughs> you know what i mean like they're the ones that that make me go oh yeah what what am i thinking like the good news is uh you know there's some pros and cons with uh any label i would imagine but when I started the chariot, the people I dealt with basically said, we don't fully understand why the things you do works, but we trust it. And so you can do your thing. And so with the chariot, even that first album, they were clearly not on board, but they were on board enough to go okay if this is what you think you know you go for it and kudos to them for letting me do that album mm-hmm. um because i needed it i needed it i needed that in my life you know i had to have something i, I don't know i just needed it i can't really explain it you know i, I completely accept that answer and i really actually <laughs> buy the moral argument on it like uh I, I don't know if that's the word everybody likes for it, but I similarly feel that there's things that I'm super particular about, 
when it comes to music or art, mm-hmm. and I don't know a better way to describe them than wrong and right and moral. Right. It, it, it just, yeah. I complete, and I have different preferences than you, but they, it is right and wrong to me. And, and in your head, yes. you can't, like, I can't, you know, and that's sometimes what's real difficult with a band scenario when you have sort of this democracy, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of hard because some people agree, some people don't agree. And believe me, there's a million things, you know, there's the hard right and there's the hard left, and then there's a million things that's just like, is this better than this? They're both awesome. Let's just, you know, f- figure out what makes each of the members happy or whatever, you know. But but there are a couple of things that that come into to, to my world that I, that I can't do. I, I can't not do. I, mm-hmm. You know, like like for example, have a MacBook play the songs live and then and then and then and then fake it on stage. I, I can't do that. Is, I can't. is that a reaction to hating it when you see other people doing it, or is it just you can't do it when you go to do it? I mean, does it come from from like being disgusted with what you've seen and got sick of, like those band names or whatever, or those other bands with those MacBooks on stage? Does it come from that place? Um, I have seen bands do it in a way that rules. Mm-hmm. So with every rule that I place in my own head, there's a way to break that rule in a way, in in a cool way, you know, in a way that feels okay. But for me, myself, I can't imagine, like when I hit the guitar, I want to hear just this wall of sound come out of it. And if, and if I, it's just not for me. It's just, that's the easiest you way to put it. You never want a perfect mix in, in ear, in ear monitors from a guitar simulator, for instance, to be like yeah, that. With, it's you, just hard yeah. to, I don't know. I believe in humanity and I want to, I want, <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be some level of danger there. You know, I like there's the got to be a that level for other people l- though. Like you believe in humanity. The other, <laughs> I love that. Well, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Do you, you know Cirque du Soleil? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the crazy, mm-hmm. like, I guess I would feel very if I went to to if I paid money to go see a Cirque du Soleil. Now I've had the pleasure of seeing four or five of them, and they're amazing. Every one of them. My my goal in life is try to see them all. But if I paid money, that kind of money, and I thought I was going to get a Cirque du Soleil show, which which what what does that mean? That means I'm going to see humans doing things that I didn't know humans could do. Right? Yeah. They're talented. They've practiced. They're, it got messy. It, it, it they've they've practiced. They put in the time. Clearly, they put in time. If I paid to see that, and what I actually got was, let's for the sake of this discussion, say I saw an animated film about anything. It's just an animation. I would feel ripped off, personally, because I would go, wait a minute, I wanted to see what humans could do if they put enough time and effort into it. And and I don't know if you've ever seen a Cirque du Soleil, but you can look in nine different directions and see nine phenomenal things versus... So when I think about live shows, and again, let me clarify, some of my favorite bands fake it. You know what I mean? It's fine. Uh, they're big enough, and they, they, they do it, and I, and I know they do it, and it's whatever. You still call I it still fake. Lo- I, st- I still love the bands. Well, there's so many. It's a spectrum. Yeah. There's so many levels no, of faking it. it. You can have fake back, backup vocals, or you can have like, oh, that guitarist is not even playing. So there's different levels. But... Nevertheless, if I, as an audience member, pay money to see, I want even even the most pop band or the most the most like thrashy band, whatever. Like I want to see what these humans do out of 
sloppy, messy practicing. They practice so much. There's a danger that they may hit a wrong note. There's a danger that if the guitar breaks, it's we're humans and we're doing human things. And it, and it, I don't know when there's that sort of like. I mean, I've toured with bands who the one band specifically, their guitar strings broke. And it was a one guitarist band, and the music just kept on going. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, we're friends, and so it's cool. And the guy like who was supposed to be playing guitar turned around to me and just kind of like laughed. And I was like, "What's it, what's he gonna do? Everybody, everybody knows. Everybody's gonna see like he's not even actually playing guitar, and uh, nobody cared. You know. So I mean, it's not a big thing. It's not a lot of people don't know it's happening or don't care. But for me myself, I just like. You know, when I when I do accidentally hit a wrong note, I never think of it as like a failing thing. I think of it as well, I'm a human, and that's what happened right now. Kind of like going back to what I was talking about earlier about the 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 unique circumstance, the unique event that is these people and and us and mm-hmm. and all of us together. I hit that wrong note that night. You know what I mean? The next night, I might not hit that wrong note. That's human beings doing what humans do. It's the flaws. It's the beauty. You know. I, that's me. what I was going to say. I was wondering if you would just use that word beauty there. I thought you might. I thought <laughs> you might because it's uh it's something about embracing the danger and the outcome, regardless in itself. Even the wrong note is the right note, and it's beautiful in that moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who's who's to say it's the wrong note? Right. You know? <laughs> I, I'm still going to play it with the same confidence. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, and and you also with Cirque du Soleil, I love that one too because that is a polished thing and a rehearsed thing where yep. it, it rarely yep. goes really wrong or something. But on the other hand, that quality that I think you embody is the one where it's going beyond what you thought was possible in that format or medium. Right. That well, seems to be something with you too that you want to go beyond whether you have to lay down or scream or inhale the <laughs> microphone or make a sound that the breathing all of a sudden becomes part of the same. You know, every, you right. know, you're used to squeezing out every element here that's beyond the cleaned up vocal track, for instance. I mean, you're doing something yeah. different. Well, as an artist, I mean, you're always trying to push what can I do next? What can I do new? What can I do fresh? What What's something that happened on accident that I can make on purpose now? Um, but to the, to talking about the polishedness of Cirque du Soleil, you know, there's bands out there that are perfect, and, and they're perfect because they've done the practice. They sound perfect, and it's legit, and it's practiced. And but there, are, I've toured with multiple bands that I go, that is the example of why you don't have to play to a computer because they are perfect. Mm-hmm. I'll say this one band, this band Avatar that we toured with, very different than us. They they wear makeup and, and do this sort of circusy sort of thing. Um, it's very, very interactive and very uh, unique. But who cares about that? They are pitch perfect when they perform. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about some Narnar riffs that I probably will never be able to play, but it is, it's perfect. And so for a band who kind of goes, well, you know, we want it to sound perfect. We want it to, you know, that's why we do the computer. It's like, well, practice, you know, they told me their practice regiment and they told me when they have these like super riffy things, um, they'll slow it down to like 10 times slower and they all play it to a click that's 10 times slower so that they know that this note is meant to be hit with that snare and da 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 da. And therefore, it is exactly every single night. I mean, we, we toured them twice, and every single night, it is just as tight as can be. 
from the squeals to the vocals to the drum, everything. It's just as tight as can be. And then going into it further, you watch their lights. You would swear those lights are pre-programmed, but they're not. They're just a good artist who's a light oh, that's guy. Great. That's his art. And it's just phenomenal. So my point is, you know, if that's what you want to sound like, if you want to sound perfect, and if, if on an album you want to sound perfect, that's that's how you do that. Go you ahead and be perfect and then, you say. Be perfect. It's it's all about work ethic. Well, yeah. how much work do you want to put in it, you know? Um, and that's why, that's the thing that rubs me the wrong way with, with using technology as a crutch. So that's how you get to morality, because you don't you think cheating is right. Well, teach his own. I don't want my, like, I don't want people to think my stance is if a band uses a computer, I hate them. I love several bands that I know for a fact do that. That's fine. It's just not for me. When I do, like, I can't fake it on stage because if I do, live is, I mean, that's my therapy. That's what keeps me balanced. That's what keeps my, that's what makes me able to be so, uh, hopefully chill when i'm off stage you know what i mean ah, because because it's therapy you know and it, and it, and i need that in my life right now is a funny time to be talking about this because i haven't played a show since last year mm -hmm. which is the longest time off i've had since like the early 2000s but nevertheless i need that i need to 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 feel this guitar and to hear this loud music coming through and sing and 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 get interact with the crowd, all this stuff. And so for me, if I faked it 300 times a year or however many shows we played, like eventually, I don't know, it would just start being hollow and numb for myself. Sure. But if but if some other band can 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 act it out every single night and make it feel that's cool. Good for them, you know what I mean? So if you embrace that about the live show and that all totally makes sense, uh is it really the same thing on recording or are there times on recordings or choices you make that the times do change, and then do you ever have regrets about any recording choices and stuff like that? It can't be just the same as another live show with a microphone there, right? First of all, you know, I try to have no regrets ever. That's the key to life, I think, doing your best to, to, to not have any. I don't know how normal people, normal bands record, so I can't really speak for them, but I think some bands create an album, and then they spend the next year, two years, three years, whatever, trying to to perform that album for the audience. I have always, even in Norma Jean, I've felt like it's backwards. To me, I love what happens live. And so I want to capture that in the recording. And then the recording and the live thing, I can actually separate the two because if you want to hear the album, go hear the album. If you want to see us live, this is what we're doing live. So certain songs get longer, certain songs get shorter. We change stuff. We take some stuff out. Whatever we want to do, really. Especially with 68, uh, that's a very... I mean, we've taken that and sort of like expanded upon it as much as we could. But um, And so when it comes to recording an album, outside of the, the couple of live ones that we've done, certain parts... Basically, I try my best to start at the beginning and end at the end. If I'm doing, now I might do it track by track, you know, this one track of guitar. I try to start at the beginning. I always record standing up, never ever record sitting down unless you're a drummer. Um, that's my opinion. <laughs> but, uh, and so when you're standing and when you're attempting to play the whole song through, and then let's say, like, right in the middle of this area, you just, you know, botched it up pretty bad. Well, 
punching in from there and continuing on to the end, that's okay. You know what I mean? Because we do have tools and it's nice to use technology to to make it sound as good as it can sound. But I never want to overproduce something so much that it sucks the soul out of it. Mm. It sucks the humanity. The the whole idea of of recording a riff one time through pitch perfect with like an Evertune guitar, never bending any note and then just taking it and copy paste, copy paste. To me, for myself, that's just not how I want my albums to sound. Mm-hmm. I want it to sound, <clears throat> if you have three choruses, try to sing all three choruses because who knows what that third chorus might give you. You know, that third time of you singing it, you may do it a little different. You may, your voice might crack in just the perfect way and it's just like, that sounds great, you know, instead of copying it, pasting it over. Um, that's just me, you know what I mean? But yeah, when I go to record an album, I I do it, it is obviously not just another live show. It's, it's you know, some thoughts and stuff that go into it that, you know, you don't get a chance to do live, you know. But uh, but we do try to keep it as live as possible, and we try to record it as um, point A to point B as possible instead of, you know, just doing one riff and carrying on. Or And so a lot of things like solos, I don't do too many solos, and they're definitely not like your standard, like, I'm a really good guitarist type solo. It's more just like... When I record guitar solos, I never have them pre-planned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never have them like written out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always just kind of like I know about where I need to be, uh, like at times, and so it's like, give me three or four or five takes, and we'll pick one of those. Mm-hmm. And that's t- so it's very human. It's very you know you hear me hit the wrong note, but then kind of bend right up into the right note, you know, because I heard it and I heard I bent it and I you know. What is up, everybody? Uh, You're listening to a song called Empire by one of our newest solid-state bands called Lightworker. Lightworker has a new record out June 12th called Fury by Failure. Uh, It was co-produced by Daniel Gailey of Phineas and Fit for a King, as well as Bo Burchill from Sailson from back in the day. So this record rules. These guys are from the Bay Area. Uh, so check that out you can look in the show notes for a link that will help you pre-save this record and future songs uh, wherever you stream music i also want to say if you are on spotify if you're a spotify user uh some of you know this already but some of you don't there's a button that says follow on spotify uh we would love to have you click that for this artist and just honestly any bands that you listen to on any label uh this is an awesome way to follow artists and uh, get updates whenever they put out new songs new records tour dates all kinds of stuff like that uh, so if you want to keep up with the bands you love particularly Lightworker, hit that follow button on spotify and other than that hope you enjoy it
Okay, I got one little more promo spot here that I am really, really thankful for Jim and Adam for allowing me to do. It's for my band, Emery. We've got a new album that comes out on June 5th called White Line Fever. And uh, you're hearing underneath me a little bit of a track right now called Civil Wars. If you go pre-order it right now at emerymusic.com, you will get the full album in a download form right away. And you have the opportunity to join our exclusive member community, Emeryland. You can even get 10% off at checkout if you use the promo code LABELED over there. I'd greatly appreciate it if you check out what all we have. And then we have a ton of exclusive music that's not publicly released. We're doing a bunch of fun stuff, including we have a new streaming show called Are You Listening? It's a Sunday night streamo show. And we do that on Twitch. Website is areyoulistening.tv. And we've been having guests on and doing musical collaborations on the show and, and releasing that stuff to Emeryland. We've done one with Dave from May, and we've done one with Corey from Norma Jean so far and a bunch of other stuff. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Aaron Sprinkle, a bunch of people there. And I think you'd like to check those out. Anyway, if you're still an Emory fan or interested in what we're up to, emerymusic.com and get 10% off your pre-order by using the promo code labeled at checkout. You've been touring in this scene since the 90s, the late 90s even, the, the whole time. So you've probably done as many or more concerts than, than just almost anybody in the scene. And you said sure. it, it was, it's like therapy for you. Uh, when mm -hmm. you left Norma Jean, did you know that you were going to be touring? Or, or was that? did you always know that you'd be in this position now? Um, yeah. I, I mean, you never know what the future holds, so I can't say I knew I would be, but... I left Norma Jean with the intention of, oh man, at the risk of sounding so cliche, just sort of remembering to know who I was, to find my, you know, not to find myself, but to like, <laughs> just to know, to know who you are. Norma Jean was getting big quick and, um, and it was fun, but it was definitely, uh, <clears throat> you know, I have nothing but contempt for the idea of fame or any sort of uh you know superstar rock star mentality uh for my own life um f for other people like they can handle it really well and stuff um i'm you know I, I i'm a very private person and i'm okay with being private and so for me when 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 i parted ways with norma jean it was very much so to just sort of keep an eye on who I was and who I wanted to be and make sure that all my thoughts were lined up and, and, and everything else. Um, I had started music v very soon after parting ways with Norma Jean and it was a little bit more, uh, or at least in my mind, it was more along the lines of sort of, uh, there's this band called Frotus that I really, really liked. Um, uh, and you'll know us by the trail of dead, uh, maybe even at, at the drive-in. Like that was sort of the, what I was into at the time. I wasn't listening to too much, like just, you know, hard, like heavy, heavy music at that moment. And so that's what I, if I would, if I were to do an interview at that moment, I would have said, Oh, I assume this is where I'm going to go. This is what my next thing will sound like. And I did it for a minute. I was writing songs and just sort of seeing what the next chapter of my life would look like. And there was some stuff that I really enjoyed, but there was all this other heavy stuff that just kept coming to me 
naturally. <laughs> like I felt like I was shoving this sort of square peg into a round hole with with the idea of this next thing being Frodo's rock and roll sounding stuff. And and I just and so, you know, anytime I hear any idea, whether it's a pop idea or a chill or whatever, I, I record it real quick, you know, just to get it out of my head so I don't have to like remember it. Like, wait, what was that thing? And that's always done me well in the past. Um, I've produced a, a couple of sort of pop artists that, um, and so I've been able to go back in my sort of pool of things and go, oh yeah, this is a song I did before, you know, that was a little more kind of upbeat or whatever. Um, well, anyway, before I knew it, I had 13 heavy songs, 14, I have no idea. It was just, everything was just so much more naturally coming with heavy, heavy stuff, you know. And so that's sort of, you know, the sound that is the chariot came from me parting ways with Norma Jean, which I love those dudes. Those are still some of my all-time favorite guys. There's a very magical bond with all of us, you know. Um, we knew each other in middle school. We hung out because we were just friends. And this day and age, so much time, you're just in a band and you're like, oh, we need a guy. And so you just get a guy, you know. But we were friends first and then we became a band so there's a connection there that I'll you know never be able to recreate again. But uh, so you even say there, you you almost talk about fame and success like you're allergic to it in some way or avoidant of it or or what'd you say you were? Uh, I hate it. I'm uh, nothing but contempt. Contempt for it. Yes. So that's kind of what I'm interested in. So I'm going to say this to you. So I don't think this would come across the wrong way, given that you've said that. But you've toured with seemingly everybody. You've toured your mm -hmm. ass off for like 20 years. Yeah. And you've never really been in a massively successful group. I mean, Norma Jean, for instance, is a massively sure. successful group to some on some scale, and you were not yeah. around for, even intentionally so, when they were commercially successful. And you've been on these big, giant, new metal almost tours. You've been around all of this stuff, and you've spawned a lot of it, caused a lot of it, are a legend for a lot of it. But you've never, yourself, we've seen in this, even in this podcast, we've seen you saw Under Oath blow up. You've seen, you know, all mm -hmm. this stuff happen with the scene. And you've never actually been in one of the bands that has peaked or been, you know, commercially successful in that way. But you've toured sure. more and played more shows at the level that, that you play at for, for longer and more than anybody else. <laughs> that's, that's really a remarkable right. thing if you don't take it as an insult, and I don't think that you do. I definitely do not. I, I mean, how does that work? Most people don't continue. That's what I'm saying. You've done this longer and more and in a more dedicated way and given more every night without the success, and you are telling us you have contempt for success. I don't think people understand that. Uh, well, I didn't say success. I said fame. Um, but... Uh to me, I mean, one person was making fun of me, but they're in a nice way. They were saying that, you know, as soon as a band starts to blow up, I leave, which is clearly what I did with Norma Jean and the chariot. We were at the peak mm -hmm. uh, when, when we called it quits as well. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the intention of me, of, of what I'm trying to do, but at the same time, Maybe it is. Maybe maybe that's the the thing that starts rubbing me raw. You know, um, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not claiming that necessarily. But I just I like creating art. You know, I want to create something out of nothing, and I want to put it out there. And if people like it, that's really really humbling, and that's very nice, and that's very kind. And I think some people connect, and they connect really deeply, and that's very very awesome. 
But the moment that it starts to become a character of itself or a caricature of itself or it starts to become cartoony or it starts to become, you know, uh, I don't know, the moment it starts to become like, oh, well, you know, oh, this is what the chariot does. Here's what they do. How about it's a like, product? Yeah, yeah. The pro- I mean, yeah. That's literally I'm here to create art, be it good or be it bad. I'm here to create art. And I've never thought of it as a product. I've never thought of it as, you know, like, let's have a micro, you know, what's those little small group meetings where, you know, like, like what do you like about this? What do you not like? It's like the moment, the moment that the average person starts knowing and liking some of the stuff I'm doing, I always think, oh, I'm probably doing something not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's a reason there's an average, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's, you know, just spoon fed into their mouths and they go, Oh, I like this, I guess. And it's like, but I've always found myself more interested in creating music, creating art. That's a little more difficult. People have to kind of dig around and find, you know, back in the day we had underground bands. I don't know if that even exists anymore. Um, but but so you had to dig deep. You had to find it. You had to, you know, there was it wasn't being played on MTV. It wasn't well, not yet. Um, you had to literally work. Uh, there was a work part on the audience's behalf. You mm-hmm. know, like I got to find this band and I got to figure out where they're going and and if they're going to come to our our town or whatever. So by the time you even connect with those people, there's already a level of uh, dare I say respect. You know, there's already a level of common thread between us and between this person versus I don't know what the equivalent would be now but back in the day the MTV crowd of just you know and again that's I mean that's not even a rule of thumb Nirvana is a phenomenal band and they just got sucked into the MTV world well, you know Kurt I mean? had so a lot I, of the I, same problems that I hear you saying but I mean always did he certainly had a, a similar resentment of the mass market and th- them being that way sure I don't know. The moment it starts to become like a cartoon version mm-hmm. of itself, I have no interest in that. But what about you know? the financial side? I mean, would you be, <laughs> you know, has that, has that been a frustration of yours to not ha- be able to, I mean, can they, do they go hand in hand or is there something to reject about the financial or commercial part of that? Uh, they do go hand in hand, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? I do understand that there are easier ways to make money even with the music world and i've been offered on multiple occasions different things to equal dollar signs i'll just leave that at that but again sometimes not always when money starts to become the thing that you think about for me then it starts to become the thing that i don't want to do Mm -hmm. i'll I'll just give this one example because it's very easy there's been more than one offer we'll just put it that way for uh the chariot to get back together you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and as much as i loved what we did in the chariot but it's just not going to happen you know what i mean and it's (laughs) and it's because that very thing is it's nostalgia equal equaling money dollar signs and it and it's just this cash cow of it's doing it for money's sake there isn't you know a dollar I mean? amount high enough no and it's not money i mean you like millions list. of i just i'm just saying even fictitiously there's not a dollar amount high enough 
No, because if at the end of the day, I don't need money to do it. I loved what we did. I loved the guys. I loved the original Norma Jean dudes. I love them. They're they're literally some of my favorite people on this planet. I would like to play a show with them just to do it, just for fun. I'd like to practice just for fun. The money has nothing to do with it. It's just sheer, like, this is an amazing time. Well, why wouldn't you want to do it with the chariot then? You want to do it with Norma Jean? No, same thing. <laughs> I'm saying the same same exact applies. Um, but why would it chariot. never happen? Why wouldn't you do it for fun? Because I I don't want to get caught up in nostalgia. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do my best to keep moving forward to look and see, or, or at least look in what's happening now. When I was in Norm Norma Jean, we had a really good time. And then I left, started the chariot, and everybody wanted to talk to me about Norma Jean. Mm. Everybody, Norma Jean, this, Norma Jean, that. Now Norma Jean was phenomenal and is phenomenal. They 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 went on to write uh, one of my favorite records, Redeemer, rightfully so. But everybody talked to me about Norma Jean because it was like this nostalgia thing. Then, and I kept saying like, "Yeah, the chariot's doing a thing. We're we're I'm in the chariot. Like, listen to the the chariot. This is my new band. This is what we're doing now." And they they'd be at the shows, so they'd be like, "Oh no no, I, I yeah I love." chariot um but man or you know anyway start 68 same exact right. thing happens everybody wants to talk about the chariot everybody wants to talk about the chariot and it's like and it's humbling it's very very humbling to hear because i loved what we did and and as an artist you always get a thrill out of people enjoying the artwork you know and if someone had the chance to experience a live show then that's that's even better you know for the connection there but i don't know at the end of the day it's the past and and we parted ways for a reason and here we are now you know here i am now doing this thing and and the moment i quit this and start another thing they'll be like oh 68 i'm really like, enjoying you hear all this stuff and and you have you are working hard to and i and i don't think it, you imply negative things about other people but your stances are so strong the internal compass on them that it's just really fun to think about what what it implies about other acts and other stuff like you know get bands getting back together i'm not going to make you say it but is is that is that something then that you d you don't respect that other people do to get back together or something like that? I'm sure you won't say it that way, but it definitely it's like playing not. with a computer, it, right? It's it's definitely not. So let me be clear: when a band gets back together, again, there's this there's a spectrum. First of all, someone could get back together and, and it could be phenomenal and someone could get back together and it's just purely, purely, purely money, yeah. you know, which is fine. That's fine. People got to make money. But I think there is sometimes, at least when you know them deeply, if you're, if you're just a spectator, you might think, you know, but you don't know. But when you know them deeply, you can go, oh yeah, they just did this because they needed money. And it feels a little bit like, oh, they just did this because it needs money. Um, and then sometimes people get back together because they're just like, yo, this was awesome. Mm -hmm. Don't we quit a little too early? Let's let's yep. do this or whatever. I am definitely not saying if a band gets back together is lame by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying that. Um, in fact, as a fan of music, there have been times where a band has gotten back together, and I've been very very stoked. The band Helmet broke up, mm -hmm. and when they got back together, I was able to perform with them a couple different times, and we have a tour. I doubt it's going to happen at this time point but uh in september there's a tour um i'm sure it's probably going to get moved but uh you know helmet is on that tour and so 
I Amazing. couldn't be playing with Helmet if they were broke up. So I'm not saying if a band gets back together. That's, here's the thing. If I'm saying something for myself, it doesn't in any way mean anything for someone no, I else. I hear you. It's just fun and, to think and, about and, it. And if I say point A, it doesn't mean that point B is false. You know what I mean? Like I'm not say, like if I say I personally can't imagine performing and letting the computer do it all. I can't I can't imagine doing that. That doesn't mean that if a band does it, I think they're terrible. And it's very important for me that that get across because as I've said, some of my favorite bands do perform to a computer. Some of my favorite bands, I'm sure copy paste their Sure. records together um i'm sure they don't have a drummer actually playing drums but so that's fine but for me myself i just i need to hear every single snare hit be different because it need the waves are mathematically just a little bit different yeah, you know yeah, and yeah. i need i need to know that that's what happened so if a band gets back together that's fine for me in my house when i think about the chariot i'm like we did what we came to do um it happened and if I start making decisions purely based on money now, to me, it's easy to fall into a spot where I might regret something later because I might go, man, what if I would have just kept doing this? Or what awesome. if I kept doing that? Or, yeah. or what if I would kept looking forward? Um, I, I talk about looking forward sometimes because then as an artist, that's what I want to do. I want to see what's coming, what's new. But, but that's not entirely correct my mission statement sometimes is way more, let's look around right now. And what I mean by that is it's nice when people say nice things about the chariot. It's very kind when they say things about me being a Norma Jean. But I want to look around right now and see 68 and, and, and do that. And I, I'm spending all my efforts and all my time doing that. When you have a loved one who's passed away, it's very easy to think of all the amazing times with them. And it's very easy to go, man, if I had one more day with them, I would do this. Or I cannot believe I can't do this anymore. And it's very, very easy to get wrapped up in nostalgia so much so that you do not see what's around you. You do not see the other loved ones that are around you right now. Mm -hmm. Instead of regretting the future going, ah, I wish I could do this with them one more time. It's like, well, they're still here. Mm -hmm. Go do that thing with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go be with them now. Go listen to the band that exists now. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm just talking about bands that exist that are here. You know, go listen to them now. You know, like, uh, let me share one story that will help better keep it light, but, but helps explain what I'm talking about. Um, I had a chance to go see... Uh, Chad Johnson had his Slacker 66 venue down in, in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. I had a chance to go see at the drive-in open up for Jimmy World and Jimmy World was on Clarity. So my favorite Jimmy World record and at the drive-in a band that I loved. Um, but it was in Alabama. It was like two hours away. And I was like, ah, I'll catch him next time. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, both bands blow up uh, at the drive-in blew up huge and then broke up and then Jimmy World um, blew up huge and then started writing songs that sounded different than Clarity so that was a regret you know what I mean it was like I could have went and seen that band I could have went and seen them and and I just in my mind I thought I'll catch them next time and there was no next time 
I'm getting from you that the thing that seems to be driving you and most important to you is certainly not external things. You said introvert too, but it's this internal mental state and you're, I don't love the term mental health, but the balance of your inner world and that being, uh, I mean, a lot everything you're saying right now sounds like you're talking about being present. Yes. Your dislike for nostalgia uh, goes in line with a lot of poor mental habits to ruminate on the past and worry about the future and, you know, all these things. It seems like that balance is important. I don't dislike nostalgia. I dislike the false mm-hmm. beauty and, and sparkles that people put over Got it. it. Reality and nostalgia are very different. When you think back on your first concert, I mean, you have stories that just did not happen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was the best. It was the la- you know, it was this. Anyway. That's a fun, fun thing to entertain yourself with. Mm-hmm. But I would say let's bump up the priority of the ever present now <laughs> over nostalgia. Even right there, what you're saying, personally. you're distinguishing between the experiencing self and the remembering self. Right? Yes. Basically. And you're saying yeah. that the remembering self, uh, to live in that is is not as good as to live in the ever-present experiencing self. And those two things It'll are... It'll slow you down. I mean, if you're only getting nostalgia about things... It, it's Uncle Rico, you know, from Napoleon Dynamite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's man, if Coach would have put me into that... You know, it's mm-hmm. like... It's it's the saddest thing. And, and I love nostalgia. I'm not like, you know... I love it, but it's fun, and it's it's like let's look through the photograph album, and then let's close it, and let's go on and create something new tonight. You know, that's my thing. It, if you keep with nostalgia and you keep looking back, you can never move forward, and you can never like, you can never enjoy what's happening now. You're only gonna always be regretting what you can't do anymore, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing as deep and, and real as this analogy is. It's the the loved one that's passed that you keep thinking, man, if only, man, if only, oh, I wish I could. And meanwhile, you've got two or three other, hopefully more, loved ones around you now. Not only that, but the influence of them is with you now to actually be, to matter. Go do something with them currently, you know, listen to the band that exists currently. Love old band. I listen to all the old stuff I listened to in high school. I'll still jam sometimes now. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm only listening to... 2020 bands, you know, but keep nostalgia where in its place, where it belongs, you know, in it is the past and it's the past for a reason. And the grass is always greener on the other side. And, and oh, back in my day and all that, that's fine. But it's not reality. Reality is now and here and, and enjoy it and love it and be with it. Okay. That's so now you, there's a thread here, I think, that part of the tooth and nail scene or this scene or the Christian hardcore, all this stuff, the th- one of the things that makes it special is the spiritual component. It just doesn't happen to be that there are spiritual or a Christian industry and that kind of stuff. There is a spiritual component to it that brings depth and and guides it, and you notice it in some of the biggest legendary stuff. There's there's an element of that uh, when I'm talking to Tim McTagg about Under Oath, uh, and certainly in Aaron Weiss and you, and there's an element here that is rooted in Christianity and that kind of thing, but there's also an Eastern spiritual element to it to the i do not exist and being present and and i do, i can't help but notice that uh that commonality that it's it's a deeply spiritual and a broadly spiritual thing does that sound right or resonant to you um i am a very spiritual person so it's hard for me to disconnect on you know where one ends and one begins um having said that 
in my mind, it's it's a lot lighter hearted than that. Maybe mm-hmm. like I I don't think of it as like like I don't you know sit here and and decide how to write an album one way or another. I you know I I don't think it's just who I am. Let's put it that way. It, it's 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 this whole idea is who I am for better or worse. When you so, say you're a spiritual person, what do, what do you mean by that? Who I mean, how can you be more or less spiritual? What does that mean? I th- I believe there's a bunch of things that you can't wrap your fist around love and and God and laughter and there's a million things that you that I I, I believe in and that I'm like I I'm deeply moved by inspiration um as one example. I I, I can't wrap my physical hand around inspiration, but I know for sure when it's on me and I know for sure when it's not on me. But I when it comes to the ever present now and and thinking about nostalgia and my my wanting to keep those into in the correct uh priorities i never think of it deeper than just i'm an artist and i want to create right now <laughs> you know what i mean i i'm i need to create something new today or tomorrow or i need to see what the next thing is that i want to that i feel comfortable being a part of or whatever that looks like and, but again, that's just for me. Well, that, you it's know, authentic you know. to you, though. I mean, it is authentic. And I think from the outside, the rest of us, when we encounter the these people like you, and, and that, I'm just saying there's something special about it, but you encounter these people that are tuned in to being present and it's almost like they're tuned into an, uh, another realm. They're less tied to the past and the future and that kind of stuff. They're here in the now, and they're able to somehow, through that, access uh, deeper creativity or farther out ideas that are not that other people are blinded to. It seems that there's a tie in there to me. It seems very clear when I'm around those people. Um, I think in you know Brandon, for instance. Uh, is always said to have a knack. It's identified that these people like Brandon Ebel have a knack to identify what's something they may even call star power. I mean, if you try to put in commercial mm-hmm. terms, it's star power. But it's not right. that. It's uh, I mean, it, it, it may be that functionally in, in a product kind of way, but it's something about these people that I've been around, I've been lucky to be around in my whole life, different ones of them, but they're able to reach over into some other parallel realm and find things that the rest of us can't see or find. I don't know. I'm, it's curious because I... I don't know, you know, even though I am a spiritual person, I I would fully imagine anyone can and should love the ever-present now, you know what I mean? Just a simple thinking on that, just thinking on it for a minute or two surely would make someone understand that could be a healthier way to exist. Um, So I don't, so, so where I am spiritual I don't know that it, you would have to be or you would need to be to understand that. And then and then some, you know, maybe, who knows, man, maybe, I mean, getting all nostalgia might be someone's comfort safe spot, you yeah. know, where they just go, you know, like, I don't understand right now, but I understood then, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I would only argue maybe that that would be, maybe, I'm not a therapist, but maybe that would be sort of running from your general problem like i can't deal with right now i need to always live in there and so for me it's like i i'm not that kind of person i'm not the person that needs if i if i can't deal with right now or i can't then i then i've got to figure out how to deal with right now yeah (laughs) and and the way the worst way to do that is to uh dive into a bunch of things that are going to 
like nostalgia or anything that's going to take your mind off of it. I'm just trying to identify that that element of presence and embracing reality and humility and and all those things are often mistaken for things like confidence or technique or sound or you know what I mean like you mm-hmm. you try to you take these brilliant people that do amazing things and then you want to ask them yeah but how do you what's your screaming technique which is an interesting yeah. question but I think the things that you're finding in your performances are not coming from simply a set of techniques and things like that is one thing I'm Yeah um I I I don't know how other people work because I would imagine they they might have a bunch of knowledge-based techniques t- to help with what they do. Uh, me, myself, I mean, I'm self-taught guitar and self-taught singer guy that, I mean, it's not like I sing very good, but as far as like hit notes and stuff. But um, so for me, it is way less about the technique and way more about like, oh, well, do you hear something beautiful or not? You know, um, when, when I play a riff on a on, on an album or something, it's... You know, I don't know if I'm staying in a key or something, uh, but it does it sound good or does it not sound good? <laughs> I think it's less, even that idea, it's less pre-thought out. You know, it's less, I, I don't know enough about music or enough about beats to go, okay, we should do this sort of five, seven beat over this thing or whatever, and that's going to sound good. I just start writing music and it, and, and the stuff that I like. I keep and the stuff I don't like I take away and then I keep building upon that and building upon that and and it gets sloppy it gets messy it gets it gets I mean I have journals of stuff where I write my lyrics it just I mean it's it's a messy messy process but it's it's in my own mind it's beautiful it's therapeutic mm-hmm. it's something mm-hmm. that that genuinely makes me I can make sense of it all it's you know it's it's and then and then all the trash, all the garbage, all the stuff that that you write that's terrible. For every one song anyone's ever heard of mine, there's thirty that they didn't hear. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 twelve that didn't make the cut. There's versions of whatever. Um, so, yeah, for me, I love the process. You know, the 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 work that's involved. I find beauty in the struggle. I find. Uh, you know, there's a there's a sense of I don't know humanity in the whole process, and and I love it, and I need it, and and I think the end product that comes out, at least up till now, for the most part, people seem to connect with, and and if they don't, that's totally fine. It's not for everyone. Connect with is a good way to look at it, like as a goal instead of sound good or sell or whatever. Connect with that's really what what's going on. I think a lot of yeah. people, if they look at you, they think, oh, Josh Scoggin. So what does he do? Well, random, chaotic, <laughs> out there, weird, different. You know, all over the place. I think is how they see you. But if you, I think if you listen carefully to what you're saying, especially here. And from the way I see it, I find you remarkably consistent. It all comes out of a very, very consistent ethic um, on the inside that that has these external effects. But I find that everything that you're saying is is very different than the way most people do it, in my experience, and in this particular scene. How are you misunderstood? Um, I, I don't find that to be too much of a of a thing for me the one thing this isn't frustrating but one thing i know like for the chariot you know um people would sometimes be like oh listen how he screams man he must be oh that he he's he just hates Mm -hmm. listen to that hate coming out uh and it's not necessarily frustrating to me because i believe art is meant to be interpreted Mm -hmm. and i find that to be a very unique thing about art and but at the same time i i have very little 
to be angry about. It is a misunderstanding, um, though, of, of who you it are is a misunderstanding, and what you intend. And people, a lot of times, especially if they haven't really dove down into like the lyrics and stuff, which is fine. A lot of music, there's a lot of music out there. How are you going to dive into all the lyrics? But they'll be like, oh, listen to him. He sounds so angry. Oh, my God. You know? And I'm like, uh, I, I have very little to be angry about. You know, I have a, a lot to be to be passionate about, and um, and so I think that's easy to misinterpret. You know, but uh, but again, it's art. I think art's beautiful to be able to to. I mean, I I paint this one picture, and and ten different people see ten different other pictures. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what a great thing to be able to share and to be able to connect with. And is any of them wrong? Is any of them right? Well, you know, for the most part, no, you know, that's the beauty of art, you know? So what about, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the past and your feelings about the past in that way. How about the future? You've, again, you may have done more shows in this scene and had more experiences almost than, than anybody. I have. How how much more are you going to (laughs) do? What is, what's the future of this? I'll put it this way. A two part question. You know what are your career goals, and how how long can you can you do this if it's your therapy and your whole life's built around you've been given your whole life to it? Uh, career goals, I have none. My only thing, the closest thing to a goal is I don't want to regret. I don't want to look back and be like, man, what if I'd have done what I wanted to do and not what the label wanted me to do or whatever. Um, thankfully, I've been very blessed to have great labels that have let have allowed me to do my thing, even if they don't understand it. But uh, I have no goals. Um, As a policy, I, or already, they haven't arisen yet? I have no goals. On purpose? Like you won't have goals? You refuse to have them? Or you just don't seem to, they don't seem to occur um, to you? I'll tell you, like w- when I was a kid dreaming about being in a band, the goal was to play shows. And I've played shows. <laughs> I've played multiple thousands of shows. Um, and I'm very grateful for every one of them. I try my best to play every one of them like it's my first and last show because who knows when it's going to be your last. And as far as as if it's your first, it's like I told you earlier, it is your first. I mean, it's the first time in front of these people tonight at this scenario with with the, I mean, you just never know. And so, and playing it like you're like it's your last. When I played the end of last year, I had no idea it was going to be the last show. Until, you know, I had uh, three or four tours booked for right now that I'm not on. So, so I have no goals. My goal was to play shows, and I got to do it, and I've done it enough that I've. If it all wrapped up today, if if this whole if the you know the COVID thing makes it to where I have to go get a normal job and not ever play music, I mean, basically. I will always make music as far as far as I can tell, because um, I need to. I have to do it, whether people buy it or not. Well, that's up to them. And do you, so, how do you separate performing and recording? There, when you say you'll always do it, well, I would imagine a scenario where I'll always create songs. Now, if nobody buys it, that 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 doesn't have any that has nothing to do with me creating it. I, you know, I'll still create songs because that's what I like to do as an artist I'll, i will all people buying it or not buying it will has no effect on if i create it you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm gonna create it and how does that no interface with it, performing so performing versus okay you use the word artist the most that's the most frequent term i think here for how you think of yourself when you say artist is that an artist who composes songs and lyrics or an artist who is a performer and or, or what percentage weight would you put on those two when you refer to yourself as an artist 
Well, I think right now it's just both. Um, I create songs and then I have the luxury of being able to perform them. I would imagine if I'm 70 someday, I might may or may not be able to perform them anymore. I don't know what me being 70 looks like. I've performed enough shows that I don't know if it'll look pretty. Uh, <laughs> but me creating art is the thing to answer the question. If I'm creating music right now, that seems to be the thing that uh, I gravitate towards the most. But art is uh, such a versatile, such a versatile thing. You know, it can be. I mean, music is just one tiny little thing of art. You know, and I, and I think, I mean, for the for the foreseeable future, till I die, I would imagine I would create music. I would write and record music. Because that's where I'm at right now, but who knows 30 years from now where I'll be at right, at that point, you know. But right now I have more songs than I can put out. Um, all this time off has only given me, I mean, I have three or four albums worth of stuff that I could put out in, in theory, you know. So the idea of when will it all wrap up, I have no idea. Um, I'm very grateful that people seem to be still into it, and I'm very grateful that um, I can make a living doing it, um, at least as of last year. <laughs> we'll see how this year pans out. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, money's never been my driving force. It's something that I have to have, and so I have to be smart to, at some degree. But, you know, um, for the most part, it's never been the thing that determines if I'm going to create this or if I'm going to create that. It just, It's just something that sort of tags along for the ride, I guess. Well, I feel that that will be a tremendous asset for you going forward, given the uncertainty and the inability for some to make money, those that have no less priority or need to make money for, for their choices would clearly have an advantage there because they're you know already disciplined about doing things not for financial gain or for what you ought to do when there's no rules of what you can do anymore anyway. So I think that that uh, looks really good for you in the future because you're driven by different types of things. Then I think that's obvious. Some people just are gravitate toward a thing that's working or a scene is emerging or there's money to be made or there's mm -hmm. status to be had. And if those things are gone, then what will be left is those who are driven just to do the creation for its intrinsic value. So I see you in that yeah place which makes me quite excited for your 2020 2021 and beyond well thank you Okay, so I wanted to share one little crazy thing that I thought was quite fascinating that I think you'll like, too, as it pertains to the credit reads and voicemails in this show. Ben Ricketts from the labeled Facebook group posted the other day, Am I crazy, or does the telephone dial-up beep at the end of every episode sound a lot like a sample of the first guitar note in Bloodsucker Part 2 by ACB? It jumped out at me the first time it was used on the show, and I've wondered ever since. Ben amazing ear you've got there. Now let me tell you how amazing your ear actually is. That voicemail beep is not the first note of Bloodsucker Part 2. 
but it is the exact same pitch. It is a, The note is a D. I went back and checked it out. It is the exact same pitch and a very similar tone. So, Ben, you may be a good musician, and if you're not a musician, you should consider being one. You may, in fact, have perfect pitch. Thanks for noticing that. And as of now and from now on, that voicemail beep will, in fact, be replaced with the first note of the As Cities Burn track, Bloodsucker Part 2. Here they are back to back. Here's the voicemail beep that we have been using. Okay. Now here is the very first tone that happens in the As Cities Burn song. And with a little context. <laughs> Can you believe that? Good work, Ben. And from now on, that will be the voicemail beep and add one little uh, nugget of meaning to this show and even in the credit reads. Thank you so much, Ben. Love you guys. Appreciate this. My name is Brandon Ray from Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm a labeled member and my favorite three TCNL catalog songs are Our Love is a Painted Picture by May, Strange Flower by Copeland, and The Blue Period by Beloved. I contribute a few bucks to this podcast because these bands deserve to have their stories told. So we're asking for you to consider helping. Ensure uh, the continuation of this podcast by chipping in an amount of money that you wouldn't even miss. Matt Carter is our host, editing a story by Matt Carter. Production management and sound, sound design and additional mixing and editing by Rita Hansen. Our executive producer is Brandon Neeble. Special thanks to Adam Scatula, Jim Worthen, Tyson Pioletti, and Marshall Fermis at Tucanel Records. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batesel, creativevistacoaching.com, and the rest of the members of the label community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us at patreon.com um, slash labels.